Take your Bibles out and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14. I turn there, I'll ask you this question. How irreligious do you think America is? You know, sometimes survey results can be deceptive. Many polls and many surveys allow people to self-identify. And if a person labels themselves as a Christian, then they are counted in the survey as a Christian. Well, in a recent survey, the, the Barna Group tried to bring a little more definition to what people mean when they say that they are Christian. And so they came up with these 15 descriptors that identify uh, areas of faith. If nine of these descriptors describe you, then you are considered post-Christian. If 12 of the 15 describe you, you are considered highly post-Christian. And by post-Christian, we simply mean that the church and Christianity no longer occupies a central place of influence in society and culture. We're no longer a Christian nation. We mean that Christianity has largely been marginalized and relegated to old people and uneducated people, and that it is irrelevant in having anything meaningful to offer in the non-religious world. So here are the 15 descriptors. I'm praying that we have no post-Christians here this morning. Number one, do not believe in God. Number two, identify as atheist or agnostic. Three, do not believe that faith is important in life. Four, have not prayed to God in the last year. Five, have never made a commitment to Jesus. Six, disagree the Bible is accurate. Seven, have not donated money to a church in the last year. Eight, have not attended a Christian church in the last year. Number nine, agree that Jesus did commit sins. Ten, do not feel a responsibility to share their faith. Eleven, have not read the Bible in the last week. Twelve, have not volunteered in church in the last week. I know you are starting to check off these things now. Thirteen, have not attended Sunday school in the last week. Fourteen, have not attended a religious small group in the last week. And fifteen, do not participate in a house church in the last year. Nine of the fifteen make you post-Christian. So based on Barna's research, um, the results are in 37% of America, 37% qualifies as post-Christian. The number one post-Christian city in America, Albany, New York, 63% of the population. Where does Charleston show up on the list? We're number 80, so we made the top 100. Charleston's number 80, 24% of the population of Charleston, post-Christian. That's why I'm so eager this morning to return to our study of the book of Deuteronomy. You know, we took a few weeks off to travel along with Jesus as he resolutely set out toward Jerusalem. He was determined to go there. He was determined to die on the cross there so that people like you and me could have life. At Easter, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and the tremendous power of God that brought that about. The resurrection and its power is everything. It's for every place in the world. Far as the curse is found, which is every place in this world, that's where the gospel preached and proclaimed with resurrection power belongs. 
to every person in this world that is broken by sin, which is every person in this world. Those are the ones to whom we preach the gospel with resurrection power. And so with the resurrection power at work, we return this morning to Deuteronomy. We take our place once again among God's people, standing on the plains of Moab, listening as Moses speaks under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, speaking the very words of God to the people of God. Because God has very definite plans for how his people should live their lives in the land that he is placing them, the promised land. He intends for his people to do more than just exist or more than just get by. God intends for his people to thrive and to prosper. And so he tells them how to make that happen. He intends for his people not to be marginalized, not to be irrelevant, but he intends for them to be the influencers His people are to be the influencers in the world. And so he tells them how to do that. Since you and I live in a city where one in four people, one in four people is post-Christian, it seems vital that you and I should know these things as well. When we were last in Deuteronomy, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Today we come to chapter 14. Just to remind you, this is part of a long section in the book of Deuteronomy comprised of chapters 12 through 26. Basically here, Moses is just preaching the law. They've received the Ten Commandments from God. And now Moses is is putting that in sermon form as he speaks to God's people. And that's us. So if you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 14, I'm going to ask you to stand. You'll be very discouraged when you find we're only doing two two verses this morning. But nevertheless, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the living God. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. For you are a people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. It is truth. Uh, It is the only truth in this world. We thank you for preserving it to us. We thank you for speaking truth to us. Father, we thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding uh, of what is otherwise incomprehensible to us. So we pray, Lord, that as your spirit works in us and through us this morning, that you would bring transformation to our lives where we need to be transformed. So we just commit ourselves to you. We open ourselves to you, to the teaching of your truth, to the work of your spirit, as we come together to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You May be seated. I deceived my wife before we were married. I allowed her to believe that I like to shop. The truth is, truly, I hate to shop. But shopping meant going to the mall with Kathy and holding hands in the mall. I liked that. Shopping meant that we would go to our favorite restaurant sometimes in the course of the day and eat, and I really like to do that. But the fact of the matter is, truly, I I hate to shop. And even now when I find myself in need of clothes and I find myself entering into this large men's department, I get a little panicky. (laughs) And I have to tell myself, you know, you can do this. 
Because everywhere I look, there are clothes of, of every description. And, and I don't know what to do, what choice to make. What look do I go for? Casual? Professional? Hip? Cool? And now I have this added dilemma because now I have to say, oh, I'm too old to wear that. You know, we often choose our identity the same way. We think about how we want to, to dress ourselves, like we choose our clothes. What is it that we want to be known for? What's the first thing we want people to think about when they think about us? Friendly? Fashionable? Capable? Chill? Slacker? Dependable? Go-getter? Smart? Cultured? Down to earth? The list could go on and on. What do you pick? It's like being lost in a, in a sea of racks of clothes of every color and description. We tend to want an identity that we believe makes us more valuable or makes us appear more valuable to others. Whatever identity that we decide that is, that's the identity that we're going to work on and groom and develop. We'll do things that we need to do to convince people that this is who we are. We'll say things that we need to say to convince people, oh, this is who I am. Sometimes we'll even use people to solidify that identity instead of just loving them as people made in the image of God. But the big question for us is, why do you want that particular identity? Why do you need that particular identity? Look with me in verse one. You are the children of the Lord your God. You are the children the Lord, your God, you, you are the children of the Lord, your God. That is our identity, yours and mine. And that's everything. Knowing our identity, being secure in our identity, who we really, really are. That is requisite to true blessing in our lives. It's, it's requisite if we're going to have any security or peace in our lives. It's requisite if we're going to have an abundant life or a meaningful life. And it's requisite if any one of us in this room is truly going to be an influencer of our culture. You are the children of the Lord your God. And the reason I say that this is requisite is because your identity and who you perceive yourself to be What you believe to be true about yourself, that's the place from which you do your thinking and your speaking. That's the place from which you interpret life around you. It's how you interpret who other people are and and what other people say to you. And so here's the thing. Either we're going to speak and act and interpret life from the identity we have in Christ or... We're going to speak and act and interpret our lives from this altar identity that we are attempting to create for ourselves. And so I can guarantee you this, that living out of the identity that God gives to us, that we are children of the living God, that will bring blessing. If we choose to live out of this other identity that we want to acquire for ourselves, I guarantee you this, There will be chaos in your life. There'll be insecurity in your life, a lot of that. 
and not just a little bit of drama. Oh, we love the drama. Through faith in Christ, you are a child of God. That is the bare truth. That is the naked truth. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, naked we come into this world. And so it is with us, spiritually speaking. When Jesus meets privately with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the man who has quite an impressive identity, he's a very wealthy man, and he is a respected religious leader, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born all over again. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, you and I have heard that phrase so often, born again, born again, doesn't really mean anything to us. We can't rewind, we can't unhear it again for the first time. But to Nicodemus, this was a very strange concept for him to hear, be born again. And he, he marveled at it, he, he wondered at what Jesus meant. You could hear it in his voice, you could see it in his face. And so Jesus said to him, you know, why do you marvel? Why do you marvel this? Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he can't enter the womb a second time and be born again. Jesus says, you've got to be born again. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Naked, new birth, new identity, starting all over again. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, exclamation point. And that is what we are, exclamation point. John 1, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You and I have a new identity. Children of the living God. And most of the remainder of the book of Deuteronomy, all it is, is putting clothes on that new identity. Dressing it up. What do we look like as children of God? Galatians 3, Paul writes, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The New Living Translation says, for, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. This is our identity, yours and mine. Children of God who clothe ourselves with Christ. And this is where your value comes. This is where your value comes. You're, you're a child of God. While I was on vacation I read a biography about Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was the chaplain for the United States Senate from 1947 
until his sudden death at age 46 in 1949. Nobody cared about the Senate chaplain. Most people wanted them to do away with the Senate chaplain. It was boring. It was rote. Until Peter Marshall started to pray at every session of the Senate. And suddenly, the senators started leaving their offices and coming to the Senate chamber early just so they could hear the prayers of Peter Marshall. Many of them commented that that was the highlight of their day, that after Peter Marshall had prayed, it was kind of downhill after that. No surprise, I don't guess. (laughs) Newspapers printed the prayers of Peter Marshall and, and, and magazines, periodicals like Time Magazine printed his prayers. He was a very popular Presbyterian minister in D.C. His church was New York Avenue Presbyterian. And after they had completely filled the church for two services and all the overflow rooms available at the church, they still turned 500 people away each Sunday. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) Just kidding. When he died unexpectedly, his funeral, it was the same story again. The church couldn't contain the crowd. No way to get all the people in. And so they just lined up around the block. So here's Peter Marshall. He's a man truly, truly gifted by God. And on all accounts, he appears to have been a very humble man. But Peter Marshall was no more loved and he was no more valued than William Dodson, the janitor at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, who for years faithfully cleaned that church, faithfully served the people, faithfully loved the people of that church, who attended the funeral of Peter Marshall right along with the Vice President of the United States. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. And really the point here, you know, we attach value to identity. And the more impressive we believe our identity to be, the more value we believe ourselves to have. And let me just tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a crippling lie. It cripples us as individuals in our relationship with God because we believe such a thing. Cripples us in our relationship with others because of this effort that goes into creating this Uh, value before them. It cripples our work for the kingdom of God because we're so busy trying to build our own kingdoms. Instead of embracing our identity, who we are, children of the living God. Children of the living God. Come and sing. Sing out loud. Children of the living God. Sing to the living God. Sing of His gentle, healing hands. How he found the lowliest man. Sing to the living God. Sing of the mercy that he gives. Though we sin, he forgives. Sing to the living God. How he loves us. With great love, he who sits enthroned above. For our lives he spilled his blood. Sent his spirit like a flood. Children of the living God. Sing to the living God. Look in verse 2. For you are a people holy to the Lord God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Likewise, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Treasured possession, chosen by God, dearly loved. What is it that you believe you can do? What is it you believe you need to do to increase your value? What? If you're trying to increase your value to another person, why do it? How is their estimation of your value more important than God's? I just believe this with all my heart. If we cannot get our identity right, if we can't be confident and secure in it, we're not going to get anything right If we don't know that we're greatly loved by God, we'll look for that love somewhere else. If we don't believe that we are accepted by God in Christ, we'll look for that acceptance someplace else. If we don't believe that we are provided for by God, we will busy ourselves and weary ourselves trying to provide for ourselves. If we don't believe that we are citizens in the kingdom of God, workers in that kingdom, then we will seek to build our own kingdoms Or we will immigrate to a kingdom that this world offers, but we will always be aliens there because we do not belong. But when you and I, when we know when we are, who we are, when we are secure in our identity, we are set free. We are free to unapologetically be who God has called us to be. And we are free to unapologetically do what God has called us to do. And we can be about the work of building not our kingdom, but his kingdom. And so it seems to me that if all believers were living in their identity, remembering that we truly are children of God, unashamedly living that way, it seems to me that it wouldn't be as likely that 24% of our city would be post-Christian. A group of priests and Levites came to John, the one we call the Baptist. Though my Presbyterian pastor growing up would never call him that. John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, he was out in the wilderness. And they went to John and said, John, who are you? What's your identity? And John's response was, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. That was John's identity that he embraced. He was the voice. That was his purpose in life. Speaking with his words about Christ, pointing to Christ. The next day after this interview, he literally saw Jesus passing by and he pointed with his finger and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The day after that day, once again, he was with the disciples and he saw Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the disciples followed Jesus. Isn't that cool? Now the process is complete. John has pointed to Jesus with his words. He has literally pointed out Jesus with his finger. And now people are following the Lord. That's the purpose. But John's disciples came to him and said, Hey, John, that guy that you baptized, remember him? Well, now he's on the other side of the Jordan, the other side from where you are. And now everybody is going to him. 
What are you going to do about it, John? And you know John's response. He said that Jesus must be greater and that he, John, must become less. Because John had accomplished his purpose. And John, miraculously, because we know ourselves, had won the victory over pride and envy. He had not promoted himself. He had not tried to retain his own following. He simply pointed to Christ. And in so doing, he said to everyone, you don't need me. You need Jesus. Always pointing to Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. See, when we're secure in our identity, we can do that. We don't have to draw the attention to ourselves. We don't have to attract the attention for ourselves. We can point others to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. We don't have to seek a following for ourselves. Instead, we seek a following for Christ. What did Jesus say of John? He said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. So wherein lies his greatness? John's greatness is in the fact that he knew his identity, which means he knew who he was not. He was not the Messiah, and he was just fine with that. He was the voice preparing the way for him, the finger pointing to him. But most importantly, he knew who Jesus was. And therein lies our greatness, yours and mine. And knowing Christ and knowing his power and finding our identity in him and knowing who he's made us to be and pointing others to him. Our greatness comes when we can, along with John, say, I must decrease. Jesus must increase. And so this is the real job that you and I have as believers in Christ, whatever our job is and wherever it is. If you're a doctor, you're a child of God doctor. Be the best doctor and point to Jesus in your practice. If you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer, a child of God lawyer. Point in your practice to Jesus. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a child of God, stay-at-home mom. And you can point your home to Jesus. If you're a student, study hard. Be a good student. But you're a child of God student. And in your studies, you point to Jesus. Whatever you do, doesn't matter where it is. Live out your life in light of your identity. Make decisions about where you go based on your identity. Make decisions about what you do based on your identity. Set your goals for your life. What goals do you have? Set them based on your identity. Relate to other people. Treat them out of your identity in Christ. And please, let's do this. Can we do this? Can we please live our lives in the confidence of our identity? Because there is no place for false humility in the kingdom of God. And I I think Christians believe that we are supposed to be that. But you know what false humility is? It really reveals that deep down inside, you really believe that you are responsible for your goodness or your greatness or whoever it is that you are, whatever it is you do. So you say, oh, shucks, (laughs) silly old me. I'm just as humble as an old shoe. No, you're not. You're arrogant in yourself. But listen, you and I are allowed to be confident in Christ. What did God say to his people gathered on the plains of Moab? He said, go, 
Go into the promised land. Go into the land that I'm giving you. Go there and be a blessing to the nations of the world. It's not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in Christ. This is who Christ has made me to be a child of God. So if you and I think that we are pleasing God by, oh, well, I'm just being a shrinking violet or being humble as an old shoe or lurking around in the shadows, staying on the fringe of society, remembering our place, if that's what we think the Lord wants of us, then we are absolutely incorrect. Look at the table before you. There it is. Did Jesus give his life to give us life so that you and I can lurk in the shadows? Or did Jesus give his life so that we can live in the light and be a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? God has given us our identity on purpose. Because he loves us. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to be with him. But he also wants us to bless the world. He wants to bless this world through us, his children, who are living the good life. And living the good life means living the God life. Because that's only the only truly good life there really is. As he commands us to live it. Showing the way. Leading the way. And it is to our own detriment. And it is ultimately to the demise of our culture or any culture that we become post-Christian. You know what? I don't, all you have to do is pull up statistics for anything you want. Anything you want. Crime, violence, drug abuse, sexually transmitted diseases, broken homes, it doesn't matter. The more post-Christian we become, the higher those statistics go. So let's ask God not to let that happen. On our watch. I think one in four people around us being post Christian is too many. Do you? It's too many. So let's live confidently, confidently in this land in which God has placed us with the identity that He has given to us as children of a living God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you. Oh, we cannot thank you enough for. Uh, the great love that you have for us. We can't even fathom that love, Lord, because we know ourselves. We can't even imagine that someone would love us as much as you do. And and to truly embrace that, Lord, we're going to have to leave that to the work of your Spirit. Uh, And so we do pray, Spirit of God, that you will make what is incomprehensible and understandable to us. Um, Help us embrace it by faith. It's true. You love us this much. You truly want us to be your children. So Lord, out of hearts of gratitude for the identity that you have given us, you would seek us and find us and call us and cleanse us. Would Help us to live our lives out of that identity. Help us to wear the family name well, children of God. Help us to honor you, our Father, and the way We live our lives and do our jobs. Lord, may we be uh, a reflection uh, of your love and your goodness and your grace. Lord, as we live the God life, which is the good life, as others around us see our lives and are attracted to it, Lord, I pray that you would give us the opportunity to bless them 
to bless them with the truth of the gospel. Yes, Lord, you love us this much that you would die for us so that we, and they too, can be your children. So Father, truly we pray that because we are here, because we are in downtown Charleston, we pray that you would use us to make a difference in this culture, our culture. Lord, it's not too much to ask. Now we pray with all our hearts that, that because we're here and because the gospel is going out, Lord, that that number would decrease. Instead of becoming more post-Christian, we pray, Lord, that this city would become more and more Christian. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.